The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. For more information on Story City, go to storycitychurch.com. All right, well, good morning, good morning. Man, what a time of worship we've had this morning. Wasn't it good? So good this morning. I'm so grateful for our worship team. You know, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, I was considering it backstage while they were doing announcements. The Bible says, we all with unveiled faces as we contemplate the glory of the Lord are transformed from glory to glory. I don't know about you, but man, I had a time of worship this morning. It was so good. Grateful for our worship team. Well, if you're new this morning, welcome. We're so glad that you're here. We're in the third week of a series called I Am. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up. John chapter 10 is our passage this morning. John chapter 10 is our passage. If you didn't bring a Bible, that's okay. We're going to put the verses on the screen for you this morning. Can we pray together? Can we do that before we jump into the scriptures? Let's pray. Jesus, God, we commend ourselves to you in this moment. Father, we commend our our eyes and our ears, our hands and our feet to you this morning. God, we contemplate your glory this morning. God, we need it. God, we come expectant this morning to hear from you. So we open up the scriptures this morning. God, you are the bread of life, Lord. God, you are the door. You are the great shepherd. Lord, as we contemplate all of these things that you said about yourself, God, would you transform us? As we behold Jesus, Lord, this morning, we commend ourselves to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody in the Colony Theater said amen and amen. A couple years ago, I, uh, I went to this game show called Let's Make a Deal. Some of you guys have been around here for a while. You heard me talk about this before. Uh, I went reluctantly. I went unwillingly, but I did it because my mom wanted to go. And so she was in town, and we went to Let's Make a Deal. One thing led to another, and I was the second contestant on the show. And so, yeah, I dressed as a, as a Dodgers baseball player. I thought they'll never pick a Dodgers baseball player. Surely everybody dresses this way. And sure enough, I was the second person chosen. Well, the lady in front of me, you know how Let's Make a Deal goes. You ever seen the show before? For. They put two doors in front of you, right? Two doors in front of you. You got door number one, or you can choose door number two, right? And so behind one of those doors is this prize. Hopefully it'll lead to a greater prize later on in the show. And then behind door number two is the zonk. You know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about. There's a mule. Uh, you know, there's the sound comes on. Wah, 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 you know? And then the, the screen pans over to the contestant with their head in her hands. And there's this moment of disappointment. Well, the lady in front of me chose the zonk, uh, fortunately for me. And so she got ushered off. There's actually a picture. I got a picture here. Uh, that's me right there. That's me and Wayne Brady. And so the lady on the left, she got zonked. She chose the wrong thing. So I come up, they choose me, and Wayne Brady looks at me and he says, okay, Matt, behind door number one, I'm going to tell you what's there. Door number one, there's $1,000 in cash. Door number two, we don't know which you can choose. (laughs) I'm only the second contestant, so I know there's a car behind one of these doors, all right? I know there's a big prize. I'm a risk taker, so I'm like, you know what? $1,000 is great, but I'm going for the car. And so I said, I'm going to do door number two. And, uh, And so there was this moment when they revealed door number two. I couldn't see what's going on. I'm 80% hearing loss in both ears. I kid you not. And so there was this moment I thought I had, I thought I had gotten zonked 
stonked. And so I got my hands in my head, and then I hear people clapping, and I'm reading the, the, the prompter right in front of me as Wayne Brady is telling what I just won. And, uh, and so I won a $1,000 Saks Fifth Avenue gift card. I don't shop there. The T-shirts are too expensive for me. And, so, and then I won a $3,500 hair and makeup makeover. <laughs> I, I, uh, I don't do makeup. I don't roll that way. And, uh, and, but the hair thing, like I've got a receipt. I just, you know what? I'm like, it's not worth the taxes on it. And so I refuse it. But, but I won. I won door number two. It was so awesome. It was, so fun. it was a fun experience for me. And I was thinking about it as we're in John chapter 10 this morning. I think all of us have two doors in front of us at all times. All of us have two doors in front of us at all times that we're trying to figure out. We're trying to figure out our own path. I used to read these books as a kid. Pick your own path. There's always two doors before us, the door of death and disappointment, and then there's always a door of life in front of us. There's a lot of ways. There's a lot of, of, of ways and forms that these doors of death and disappointment come. But the Bible says there's only one way that the door of life comes, and that's through Jesus. John chapter 10. Jesus said, I am the door. This morning, I wanted to take a look as we're in this series called I Am. I wanted to talk about and, and explore and examine through John chapter 10, find out about this door that leads to life. We're going to start in John chapter 10, starting in verse 1, and this is what the scripture says. Very truly, I tell you, this is Jesus talking. He's talking to the religious leaders. There's a whole backstory that's just happened with a blind guy. We don't have time to unveil that story this morning. But Jesus is looking to the religious leaders of the day. And he says, very truly I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter by the sheep pen, we're going to talk about that in a moment, by the gate, but climbs in some other way, is a thief and a robber. Jesus is going to spend the first six verses here in John chapter 10, and he's going to picture this relationship between a shepherd and a sheep. He's, he's going to help us understand. He's going to remind the people he's talking to, remind us today about how sheep and shepherds act. Now, none of us are shepherds here. None of us have been sheep before, but we all understand the concept here. In the Old Testament, the picture of this shepherd and the sheep was used to illustrate the relationship between God and humanity. You remember Psalm chapter 23? We did a series through Psalm 23 last year. Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd. Shepherd in the Old Testament was also a term that was used to describe people that were not just spiritual leaders and spiritual guys, but shepherds was a term in the Old Testament that described any sort of leader, any sort of guy. The prophet Jeremiah declared that God would set his own shepherd over his people when the promised Messiah came to reign. And so the people that are listening to Jesus here, as he's talking about this concept, this relationship between shepherd and sheep, the people listening here would have this picture. They'd have this understanding of shepherd and sheep as the backdrop as they're listening to Jesus talk about sheep and talk about shepherds. Sometimes we think of Jesus being so meek and so mild with the lamb on his shoulder and passing out flowers to everyone. But listen, in verse 1, this is not meek and mild Jesus. This is not Jesus passing out flowers with lambs on his shoulders. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. 
He's talking to people who would have been considered shepherds in their day. It's not meek and mild Jesus. This is truth-speaking Jesus. And he looks at these people who were considered shepherds, and he says to them, you are thieves and robbers. You are thieves and robbers. You steal from. You bully those whom you are to protect. We're going to unroll this thieves and robbers concept in just a moment. Verse 2, the scripture says, The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The picture we have here is this concept called a sheep pen, may have also been known as a sheep fold. And the sheep fold was a, a walled structure, a walled enclosure with four different walls where every night shepherds and most times multiple different flocks of sheep would be ushered into the sheep pen, the sheep fold. There was typically 10 foot high, it was a stone structure, and there was one opening to get into the sheep pen. And Typically at night, a shepherd or what's known as a porter would stand in the door, would stand in the door as the sheep would, would go into the sheep pen and into the, the, the sheep fold. And in the morning, the shepherds would come and they would stand in the door and they would call their flocks. And there would typically would be multiple flocks of sheep, multiple shepherds that would come and call their sheep. Now listen to how the sheep respond when the shepherd would stand in the door. Verse 3, the gatekeeper opens the gate for him. Now this was probably not a shepherd. This would be uh, a hired hand, what's known as a porter, who would stand in the door. <clears throat> And as shepherds would come, the porter would know this is a shepherd. He's safe to call the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for the shepherd, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Verse 4, when he has brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him. Why? Because they know his voice. So this idea, and Tyler's going to explain it for us in greater detail next week, but the true shepherd comes through this door. The porter recognizes him. But the thieves and the robbers, they can never enter in through this door. The thieves and the robbers would have to come in some other way. They would have to climb over the wall and attack the flock through deception. By the way, even if the thieves and robbers did get into the sheep pen, they could never lure the sheep away simply by calling them. And I want to say to us this morning, a false shepherd can never lead sheep, so a false shepherd must steal them away. It's also worth noting that a shepherd in the Middle East would never drive sheep. You get the picture here. A shepherd behind the sheep, driving them into a direction. A shepherd in the Middle East would always be in front of the sheep, leading the sheep, leading them to green pastures. The sheep would recognize his voice. At night when the sheep are ushered into the sheep pen, there may be multiple herds of sheep, multiple shepherds. And in the morning when he would come to call them, when he would come to return, he would stand in the gate, stand in the door and call his sheep one by one, name by name. The sheep would know his voice and it would be distinct from all other voices that would call for sheep. The command of a stranger never has an effect on the sheep. Now listen to me. In the same way, can I ask you this morning, have you come to the place in your life, if you're a believer, where you recognize God's voice as the loudest and the most influential voice speaking into your life? There are all sorts of thieves and robbers that come and attempt to steal our souls away. 
But have you come to recognize the voice of God? Is it the loudest and the most influential voice in your life? There are thieves and robbers who would call to you this morning, call to you this week at work, call to you while you're away, call to you and they're attempting to steal your soul. Now listen to verse 5 and 6. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. A follower of Jesus knows the voice of his father. A follower of Jesus knows the voice of his father. He doesn't allow the voices of thieves and robbers to lure him in. And then verse 6 says, Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Now verse 7. Therefore Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. Palestinian shepherd typically slept in this opening to the sheep pen every night, or the porter would sleep in this opening every night. The sheep pen is surrounded by this stone wall. There's only one opening. It would be the opening if wild animals would try to attack. It would be where they would try to attack. The porter or the shepherd would literally lay down in the opening and function as the door. No one, no thing passed through without the porter or the shepherd allowing it to pass. Now hold on to that idea. Verse 8. All who have come before me, this is Jesus speaking, are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. Jesus is talking about the religious leaders of the day. He's talking about these very uh, people that he's speaking to, these Pharisees, He's talking about the false shepherds that did not love the sheep, but they exploited the sheep. They abused the sheep. But Jesus says, but the true shepherd. The true shepherd comes to save the sheep. The false shepherds take advantage of the sheep and exploit the sheep. Now, verse 9. Here is the statement for today. I am the gate. Now, most other translations use the door. I prefer the door. I am the door. Whoever enters through me, listen to what Jesus said. He's going to make two statements. When your life passes through the door, who is Jesus? There are two things that happen. This is what he says in verse 9. Whoever enters through me, number one, will be saved. Number two, they will come in and go out, and they will find pasture. When your life passes through the door, who is Jesus? Jesus says you receive life. And you are saved. You receive abundant life in the rich pastures of the Lord. His sheep enjoy fullness and freedom. So Jesus uses this word here. We don't often use it in modern Christianity anymore. But it's the word that Jesus used. So let's use it this morning. Jesus said, whoever enters through me will be, what does he say? Saved. The word saved here, it gives us this idea, this concept of being delivered safe and sound. It was typically used of someone who came through a, a severe illness, somebody who survived the war, somebody who was acquitted at court. And so Jesus makes a promise. As we enter through Jesus, as our life goes through, as our life passes through Jesus, as we enter through Jesus, the promise is salvation. It's what Romans 5, 8, and 9 says. But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for who? Us. Since therefore we've been justified by his blood. Here's the word again. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Jesus promises salvation. And then here's the second promise. When our life is filtered through Jesus. The second promise is that we find pasture. 
Can I say to you this morning, to us who are believers in this room this morning, Jesus is not only concerned that we have life, he's concerned that we experience it to the fullest measure. And Jesus allows sinners to be freed from bondage, to be led into freedom. And so the second promise that Jesus gives to us is that when our lives pass through Jesus, we find pasture. What does that mean, Pastor Matt? It simply means that every provision in our life has been secured because of Jesus. Everything we need, the nourishment for our souls when we're weary. He offers hope when we're desperate. All of our needs are supplied by Jesus. I don't know if you've ever had a week like this. I don't know if your week was like this this week. My week was like this. I needed Jesus to supply my needs, and he came through. He always comes through. That's his promise that will find pasture. In fact, Philippians 4.19 says, and my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Here's the thing. Every shepherd who would watch the sheep pass through the sheepfold would know every sheep by name, know every blemish on the sheep, would know every circumstance, would know every danger in the life of this sheep. God, the great shepherd, because he knows each of you personally by name. He knows your very specific needs. Maybe it's the need of comfort today. Maybe it's the need of truth today. Whatever the need, would you hear me say it? Jesus can supply it. And Jesus' promise is that we'll find pasture. It's a reference to the Old Testament, Ezekiel chapter 34. I will make them a covenant of peace and banish wild beasts from the land so that they may dwell securely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. Jesus is saying, you are free. You have peace. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to live in fear. Oh, I love it. I love Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What can separate us from the love of Jesus? What shall we say about these things? Listen to me, church. If God is for you, who can be against you? I don't know if you need that, but I needed it this week. If God is for me, nobody can come against me. He who did not spare his own son gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Verse 34. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. And then he says, what shall separate us? Who shall separate us from the love of Jesus Christ? Listen to me this morning. Some of you need to hear it. Shall trouble separate you? Shall hardship separate you? Shall persecution separate you? Shall famine separate you? Shall nakedness separate you? Shall danger or sword separate you? What will separate us from the love of our shepherd? Do you know what can, church? Nothing. Nothing can separate us from the love of Jesus Christ. Now, let's come to verse 10, the last verse in this passage. And Jesus is such a beautiful storyteller. He's so good at using illustrations and making things come to life. Verse 10 just brings this whole thing to life. Verse 10, the thief comes only to, you know this verse, steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus says, but I've come. <laughs> I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. I read verse 10 and I think, you know what? 
Jesus is giving us his concept of life having different sort of degrees. Sometimes we think of life as being on or off, dead or alive, I'm breathing or I'm not. But Jesus seems to imply here in verse 10, listen to me, that, that maybe there's a fader on life. You can be bright or you can be dim. You can be breathing but not living. Think about love for just a moment. Think about love. Love has degrees, right? I love Dino's Pizza. Anybody been to Dino's Pizza? Somebody look at your neighbor and say amen. I love Dino's Pizza. I love Dino's Pepperoni Pizza. I love Dino's Pizza so much that my family goes to Dino's every single Friday night. I love Dino's Pizza. But I also love my kids. And it's something completely different, different degrees of love, different degrees of life. Someone can be alive but not living. Somebody can be breathing but not fully alive. So many of us are accumulating so many things in life. We think we're going to bring us life. We accumulate accomplishments. We accumulate toys, we accumulate stuff, we accumulate praise, and, and we would sit back and, and observe all that we're accumulating and say, you know what, but they're, not just, they're just not bringing me life. I'm breathing, but I'm not living. I have all the things I'm supposed to have, but I'm not alive. What am I missing? Jesus would say, the great thief, that's, his name is the devil, his name is Satan, but the world... The world is full of lesser thieves. He uses this concept of thieves and robbers. The world is full of, of, of lesser thieves. Thieves are takers, by the way. You understand the concept. Thieves are takers. Sometimes it just feels like everyone and everything, maybe it's just me, is trying to take something from you, right? Maybe you've been in a relationship recently. Maybe you said it this week or this month, I'm giving all of myself to this relationship. All I do is give, 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 and all they do is take, take, take. Maybe you're at your job and you're like, you know what? I'm giving all of myself to this job, and all they do is take all of my time. They take advantage of me. I'm so tired of taking, taking, taking. The world is full of takers. And Jesus says, those false shepherds will come in and lure you, and they will seek to steal and kill and destroy. They want to take from you. I feel like that every time I go to get my oil changed. Anybody feel like that? If you change oil, I, I'm, I just need to come to your shop then. But every time I go get my oil, I feel like that. Like, you need something new. You need a transmission service. You need a cabin filter. You need this. And I feel like every time I go get my they're taking, taking, taking. And you know what? It's easy. It's easy to have that lens when you look at life. When you look at other people. People, everybody's trying to take from me. I always have to keep my guard up. I have to live with one eye open. I'm skeptical about everybody because the world is full of takers. And guess what? It then becomes natural for us to think about Jesus when we hear his requirements and his commands. It's natural for us to instantly view Jesus that way through that lens, the same way we view everyone else. Jesus just wants to take my money. Jesus just wants to take my autonomy. Jesus just wants to take my personality. Who am I going to be if I can't be myself? Jesus wants to take my freedom. And so, so many of us live our lives like this. I did when I was a young believer. I always thought, does Jesus have some sort of angle here? Is he always trying to restrict me? Is he always trying to take something from me? Can I say this to you? And you can write it down this morning. It's going to be on the screen. I think it's so important for you this morning. Every time I resist God's commands, it's likely that I'm viewing God as a thief. 
Every time I resist God's commands, it's likely that I'm viewing God as a thief. But what Jesus says here in John chapter 10, it's one of the most important statements in the entire Bible. We know this, you know this, I know this. All of us have this tendency to have this selfish side. All of us at some point in time has a tendency to be a taker. Listen to me, everyone but God. Everyone but God, the only one in the universe whose motives are perfectly pure. Now allow this just for a moment, this fact to seep into your thoughts for a moment. God's motives are pure and God's motives are perfect. God's not generous one day and stingy the next. God's not for you one day and on an ego trip the next. He's not whimsical about his emotions for you one day and then hateful towards you another day. God is not a thief. God is not a taker. And there is nothing in him that propels him to take. He's not like anyone or anything else you've ever known or ever met. Jesus, God is 100% a giver. He's not 98% a giver. He's 100% a giver. Jesus says, the thief, though, the thief, though, only comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. If a thief or a robber were to come into the sheep pen, the only way they could come, because they could not lure them by their voice, the only way they could come was to climb the wall. And after they climbed the wall, they would have to slit the sheep's throat because they could not call them and the sheep would not come to them. So they would slit the sheep's throat, throw the sheep back over the wall. They would take the wool and eat the meat. Does that illustration come alive for you this morning? The thief only comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. Listen to me this morning. (laughs) False shepherds and false teachers destroy people. But listen to me this morning, church. But Jesus says, I came to give you life and give it to you abundantly. This concept of life to the full, this is, this, is, this is the concept. The concept of life to the full means this, a quantity so abundant as to be considerably more than what one would expect or anticipate. That's what actually Jesus is saying when he says, I came to give you abundant life. It's more than you could imagine. It's more than you anticipated. It's more than you even thought. Years ago, when we only had one kid, life was way simpler, my wife and I went to Hawaii, and we left the kid at home with some friends and family, and I was, I was so excited, but I was a bit skeptical, you know? Um, I was so excited, but I was a bit skeptical, because I thought, everybody pumps up Hawaii. Can it really be that good? And I got to Hawaii, and you know what I found? Blue skies, clear water. We took a cruise. It was amazing. We went on a hike. It was even more amazing. We sat on the beach on the North Shore. Unbelievable. It was more than I could imagine. Jesus says to us this morning, I'm different than anyone or anything you've ever interacted with. I came to give you life overflowing, more than you expected, more than you anticipated, more than you were hoping for. (laughs) Jesus says, there's degrees of life. I want you to have the highest degree of life. So I've come, you may have peace on the inside. 
I've come, you may have contentment in life. I've come so you don't have to fear. I've come so you don't have to lay in bed awake at night, laying in stress. I've come so you can have a place of safety and liberty. Listen to me. And Jesus says, that's my intention. That's important. That's important this morning. Because therein lies the secret of entering into this new life. Can you write this down? Can you write this down? I believe you will experience the fullness that God intends for your life. You will experience God's fullness to the degree that you trust God's intentions. Sometimes we look at God as the thief and the robber in our life. I believe you'll only experience the fullness that Jesus talks about here in John 10, 10 to the degree that you trust God's intentions. His intentions are perfectly pure. Can I ask you this morning, do you trust God's intentions with your sexuality? Do you trust God's intentions with your finances? Do you trust God's intentions with your marriage? Do you entrust God's intentions with your integrity at work? The fullness of life that God intends, I believe, will never be fully experienced until you trust his intentions. And listen to me, and follow his voice. Till you trust his intentions and follow his voice. Some of you would say, you know what, I believe God is good in sort of a general sense. I, I generally know that God is good, but I'm not sure God can be good to me because I've had all of these things happen. I've had all of these circumstances. People have lied to me. They've cheated me. They've taken advantage of me. People have hurt me. I believe God is good in a general sense, but I'm not sure if God is good to me. Listen to me. If you don't recognize the enemy, you'll always misinterpret reality. If you don't recognize the enemy, you will always misinterpret reality. Can I say to you this morning, sheep that don't recognize their shepherd's voice are led astray. They're led astray by thinking the thief is for their good until the thief slits their throat and throws them over the wall and destroys them. You'll start thinking, that was God. That was God that did that to me. That was God that gave that to me. That was God that, that caused that in my life. But don't get confused what Jesus is saying here. I'm going to work it all out for my good. I'm not just powerful. I am all good. How do I know, Pastor Matt, that God is good towards me? There's a brilliant writer, Hebrew scholar named George Adam Smith. He traveled to the Middle East years ago trying to deepen his understanding of the times, the cultures of Jesus and the people. And he's in the Middle East and and he tells the story while he's in the Middle East of meeting a shepherd out in the field in Israel. He's studying the life of the shepherds, the life of the people. The shepherd shows him the sheepfold where he keeps the sheep at night. There's a stone wall, briars on top, four walls, walled-in area that's safe from wolves and thieves. But listen to me. But the opening has no door. And he asked the shepherd, is this where you keep the sheep? The shepherd says, yes, this is where we keep the sheep at night. Dr. Smith says, well, the walls look secure, but, but there's no door. It's just an opening. The wolves and the wild beasts could literally walk right in. The thieves could literally walk right in. <laughs> How are you going to keep your sheep safe at night with no door? And the shepherd said something to Dr. Smith that opens up for us the intentions of Jesus in John chapter 10. The shepherd said this, I am the door. 
I am the door. Every night, every night, I lie down in the opening. I don't need a gate. I don't need a door because I am the door. I sleep right here. If any wolf or any thief would try to get to my sheep, they're going to have to come through me. I am the door. I want to say to you this morning, that's so important. That's so important because the wolf did attack. The thief did come. But listen to me, church. But standing in the door, in the opening, was Jesus. (laughs) He never sleeps and he never slumbers. He has already taken hell for you. He has already borne the weight of death itself on his shoulders. And no matter what comes in, it will have to come through him. And he's not going to let one sheep out of his hand. Jesus says, I am the door. And I proved my life to you. I proved my intentions to you when I laid down my life for you. You can trust my heart. My heart has been revealed through the cross. Can I close this out this morning and say this? God wants to have an audience with you this morning. Many of you here picture God as being, many of you, your picture of God this morning is just wrong. He he maybe wants to clarify his point of view to you today. Can I say to you as we close this morning, can I ask you, are you far from God today? Are you distant from your creator? You don't have to be, the door is open. Jesus came, Jesus died. He became a substitute for your brokenness and your sin. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes. Let's close together. All around the room. This morning, Jesus would say, if by faith you would put your trust in me, you'll enter into this peace. You'll enter into this hope. It won't be a good idea. It'll be a present reality. Would you place your faith in Jesus this morning? Would you surrender your will to him? We've said this often. True freedom is not autonomy. True freedom is surrendering your life and your desires to a God whose intentions are perfect for you. His intentions towards you are good in all things. He is a trustworthy God. Some of you today are standing outside the door and you're looking at it. You're like, God seems like a taskmaster. That door seems like a taskmaster. Jesus would say, but if you would step inside, you would discover that I, in fact, am a loving father. I'll wrap my arms around you today. Why would you resist a God who loves you like this? You've been doing it on your own, collecting toys, accumulating praise, accumulating stuff, and they've not brought you life. You're chasing a dream, and it seems so fragile and not life-giving today. Can I say to you this morning, you need God at the center of your life. Would you place your faith in Christ today? Heads bowed, eyes closed. Would you pray a prayer with me as a symbol of surrender? This is your desire to be saved this morning. As Jesus said, would you pray this with me? Jesus, save me. I believe you died for my sins. I believe you rose from the dead. Right now, Jesus, I place my faith in you. I receive new life and forgiveness. Holy Spirit, fill me and make me new. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, And the life that Jesus describes in this text is not the life you've been living. You say, Matt, I I don't think I could say I'm living life more abundantly. I'm not talking about stuff. I'm not talking about things this morning. 
I'm talking about real peace, real joy, real hope, real love. You say, Matt, my life is not a, my life is not a progression of, of an increase of all of these things, peace and joy and hope and love. I would say to you this morning, my friends, you're missing all of the things that God wants to provide. And maybe, just maybe, at the root of it, somewhere down inside of your heart, you're hesitant to trust God's intentions. I want to urge you, encourage you, plead with you this morning to take a step of faith and believe God at his word. Where are you most afraid? Where are you most anxious this morning? Where are you most frustrated? I want to ask you this morning, would you surrender to Christ, enter into his grace, discover that what he said really is true. Lord, thank you for today. God, thank you for your word, your promise. God, for those in this room that are having difficulty and challenge, believing your intentions. God, would you bind the enemy from us today, our thoughts, our minds, our hearts, those who would come in and try to steal our soul, steal our joy. Jesus, by the spirit of the living God, would you convict and convince this morning that your intentions are true, that your intentions are good this morning, that you came to give us life and life abundantly, more than we could ask, more than we could imagine, more than we ever dreamed of. Jesus' name.